Welcome to another episode of Paleo Runner Podcast, a show helping you find better ways to live, run, and eat. I'm your host, Aaron Olson. The website for the show is paleorunner.org. I wanted to let you know that I'm offering coaching through Google Helpouts, over Skype, and on the phone. I've been running for 17 years, and I've learned that by running less and focusing on key workouts, you can reduce injuries while getting faster. Over the past couple of years, I've set personal records in the 5K through marathon while running less than 25 miles per week. If you're interested in getting help running faster on less mileage, go to paleorunner.org coaching and schedule a help out with me. I'm here today with Kelly Starrett. Kelly is a coach, physical therapist, and author. His latest book is called Ready to Run. Kelly, it's great to have you on the show. Hey, thanks for having me, man. So, Kelly, the first question I'd like to ask uh, my guests is, what have you had to eat today? Uh, let's see. I started this morning with some fish oil, and I had some grass-fed butter in the coffee, and then I just pounded two eggs and an Americano. Oh, okay. So you had, you had that fish oil. Is that part of uh, your program for anti-inflammation? Yeah. You know, it turns out we've been working with this uh, really amazing company called GeneSolve, and remember, we were all everyone was heavy on the fish oil for a while, and then we were all like, "Whoa, we're taking too much fish oil mm-hmm. because we're e- we're eating like crap." And you probably didn't need that much fish oil, but it's interesting because we work with this company out of Stanford that does this really, really interesting blood paneling, but also genetic testing. It turns out I don't process omega threes very well, mm-hmm. and I remember actually even seeing a naturopath like back in Vietnam, <laughs> like in college. And they were like, you need to eat more walnuts. And I remember being like, what the, what? <laughs> you know, and, uh, but all of their indications were that, you know, I needed more omega-3s and obviously walnut was that source. But co- full circle, it turns out that, um, you know, if I'm just kind of lazy on the fish oil, mm-hmm. you know, then my omega-3s are always a little low, even though my ratios are good, my, my omega-3s are a little low. So I take, you know, probably five really solid grams a day, you know, two and a half in the morning, two and a half in the evening. And I, it's something I got to do. And I really do think it makes a difference. Okay. Now I've got to ask you, uh, push you a little bit on that because we've had a guest on the show in the past. His, he's a paleo expert. His name is Paul Jaminet. And he says, he no longer re- recommends fish oil because there was a study that came out showing that people who consumed those capsules had um, higher risk of heart disease because of the um, polyunsaturated fats were getting damaged uh, sitting on the shelves. Do you, do you think there's any, anything to that? Well, I think what you're getting back to is food quality, right? Mm-hmm. And um, you know, who, where are you getting your fish oil from? you know, where is it and where is it coming from? You know, and I I think that really is a conversation that we should be talking about, you know, and I happen to have gone to the source, know the, know the plant. And, uh, you know, I, I, but I think to the greater point is that you're, we're looking at people who are eating, you know, trying to do the right thing, right? Trying to be low fat, trying to be gluten-free, but they're eating Udi's bread that has 27 kinds of, you know, gum in it. So, you know, I think, I think that's really the, the, the phenomenon there. And I think we don't necessarily need to throw the baby out with the bathwater okay. you know, necessarily. But uh, more importantly, I think you also get into the point of there's a lot of information, especially in the paleosphere, that, hey, you know, you need to eat bacon or, you know, I mean, it's okay to just pound these saturated fats. Well, it turns out I'm not okay with that. And I'm talking about specifically my genetics do not allow me to process that saturated fat as well as some of my friends. I, I have some friends literally who can eat bacon every day. And the more bacon they eat, the better their, their blood panel looks. 
if I eat that stuff, I sort of spin out. And I've seen a lot of my friends who are very, very conscientious, high-level coaches, very conscientious, and their cholesterol goes through the roof. And clearly, I'm not talking about you know, cholesterol as a one or zero marker. But when your cholesterol is 500, something's a little sketchy, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and so I, I think what's, what we're one is talking about is we should always be talking about food quality. We should be talking about quality in all of our movement, all of our food, all of our sleep. We should really be focusing on food quality. And second, how do we know what we know? You know how do you prove? You know, how do you measure lifestyle and nutrition and mechanics well, you know, or, or the resulting <clears throat> you know, of your training? Well, that has to be done with regular blood paneling. We just are such strong advocates of that. Okay. You know, I want to get into your book, but uh, it sounds like you have some opinions on diet and food. So I want to ask you a couple questions. Now, are you on board with the paleo diet or something similar to that? Well, I think, uh, you know, let's, let's be honest that paleo has given people a, um, an identity for themselves for the first time, right? And, and it has done a tremendous amount of good because it has forced people into really looking and thinking about what they're eating and, and really placing food quality first, pulling out processed foods. What I can tell you in our experience is most of the athletes I know who are high-level outputters you know, can't eat enough yam in the day to try to be there. And now, oh, potatoes are back on. And you know, So what I will say is we are always advocating for, hey, let's pull out those aspects of your diet that we think may be, you know, counter counterproductive, right? How much dairy do you really need to know? You know, like I can drink dairy. I don't, I don't get diarrhea. You know what I mean? I don't seem mm-hmm. to be inflamed. It doesn't mess up. Should I be drinking dairy just because I can process it better than my wife can? You know, I have one daughter who, you know, drinks some milk. My other daughter has self-selected out of milk. The one daughter who drinks milk also will not eat cake or pizza because it gives her diarrhea and she's six, right? Mm-hmm. So she's figured out that she's glutarded. <laughs> and, and my other daughter has figured out that she, like the milk makes her feel queasy. So, you know, I, I think, I think the, the bottom line is um, eat the highest quality food that you can and really getting off the bars and off the protein powders and making sure that you're, you're committed to eating whole foods. But I'm also a realist and I, in my experience, you know, adding some rice back in hasn't been totally detrimental to my athlete's performance. In fact, when we put high quality carbohydrate back in, they seem to be running better. Okay. You know? Okay. Great. Now let's, let's get to your book. Tell me, and tell me a little bit about why you wrote this book ready to run. Well, you know, like so much other sort of misplaced precision out there, people are being becoming, Hey, I'm become aware that I need to change my technique, that uh, I should probably be wearing flat shoes. And what was happening is that we sort of weren't giving people a bridge between where they were and in this, this need to be able to create a ready state to then be able to run effectively. And, you know, we can come at this from the injury prevention, which is that some of the injury runner, you know, the running injuries are some of the most insidious on the planet. And if you've ever been injured running, you know exactly what I'm talking about, putting Mm -hmm. that that flame out on your foot or your heel or your quad or your toe or, you know, it's really, really gnarly. And I think the problem is we've seen that people have confused the fact that because we're designed to run, right, and we're designed to locomote so that we can really feed ourselves, reproduce, fight, you know, danger, et cetera, et cetera, and that the system is so robust that we can continue to doing that no matter what, you know, and let me give you an example. I just, uh, the, the, the movie Unbroken is coming out at Christmas, right? Mm-hmm. 
And if you haven't read that book, you should read that book. But you know, we look at the uh, the sprinter Zimparelli, who you know, not a sprinter, but you know, fifteen k, five k guy. He literally gets he he runs like just around a four minute mile. Like he's going to break it. He's like four oh five or four oh eight, something like that, pretty fast. You know, when he was doing that, and then <clears throat> comma, he gets shot down, forty seven days starving in a raft, and then two years in a concentration camp, breaks his ankle, and then after that three- or four-year odyssey, comes back with a broken ankle and runs a 418 or 412, something like ridiculous, right? Mm-hmm. And my point is, you know, think about how resilient that system is that allows him, after smoking and not exercising for four years, to reclaim that capacity. And so if we extrapolate that lesson onto the average person, you know, you've been running terribly your whole life. You probably haven't had much skill or actual instruction running. And you've been just sort of figuring it out and winging it. And all you have to do is go to any you know, local 5K and you can see, you know, 500 or 1,000 people winging it, right? Mm-hmm. All, the, all the wonkiness and the, the twisting in the back and the hinging and the spinning of legs around the, the, the axis of rotation. It's a disaster, but because we can do that for so long without pain, we confuse that with it must be okay. And if you ask any runner about their last race, and you can do this as an experiment, ask someone about their last race, and the only two questions we're ever really sort of interested in is one, how fast did you run? And B, how far did you run? Right? Those are the two questions. Oh, really? Oh, you ran, you ran a race? How far was it? Oh, and how fast did you do? <laughs> we don't ask. It's not about quality. It's not fallen prey and running into this classic trap of one or zero sort of task completion. Well, I ran and I ran further today. I ran faster today. So I must be getting better. And I'm only using those metrics as, as metrics of quality. And then all of a sudden, you know, something blows up in my face and I've worn a hole in my kneecap and I go see my doctor and she says, Hey, you got to stop running. And you're like, what? You're the worst doctor ever. How dare you? But but you know, you take what is it's like 200 plus 100 meters, mm-hmm. and right, so do the loading of that two, three or three times body weight, 200 plus steps, and so see that you know it is a significant number of steps and big loading in that thing. And then let's add in the 10,000 steps you're taking a day. And so if your technique is off, your mechanics are off, your body will buffer that gladly, it will suck it up. The same, the same conversation you were just having about, you know. About nutrition, like you can eat eat little chocolate donuts and smoke cigarettes and still win the world championships for a while, and you know I think that's the problem is that we have a difficult time keeping the long game in in our minds while simultaneously sort of being obsessed with performance. And what we try to do with the book is really give people a, a template, a one or zero map of here are the standards that are normal ranges of motion. Here are the standards for normal tissues. Here are the standards for warming up and cooling down. And then let's work toward those because it's a moving target and you're going to be beat up or travel or have a kid or have some old injury. And then then we can at least, if you have normal range of motion, then we can at least begin a conversation. But you know, you're going to see a running coach and you don't have hip extension and your quads are tight. What are we even talking about? You know, mm-hmm. what are we talking about? Your start position of running and your finish position are mangled. And so you've got this little tiny window and your body's going to work it out for you until, you know, until you blow up. It's like having your car wheels pointed in opposite directions and the handbrake on. You can still race that puppy, but you're going to have problems. Okay. Now, Kelly, I know that you've uh, had some problems with knee pain in the past. Can you tell me a little bit about what you were dealing with, with your running injuries? Oh, yeah. The first time my knee blew up, I was in high school, right? 
And um, what's interesting is that my knee swelled up. And of course, my father's a physician. And we went and saw these doctors. And they were like, you have this plica syndrome, plicotomy, plicky, plicky. And I was like, well, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> but OK. And they're like, we'll go in there and cut the plica. And it'll be fine. And we didn't do that, thank goodness. Um, and my knees you know, went down. And um, what I can tell you is that I ran cross country in the eighth grade. That was the first time. I went to a high school in, in Germany. And I didn't have any problems running, but I was slow, you know, and I wasn't a really talented runner. And the pictures show that I'm heel striking uphill, which <laughs> is actually really difficult to do, to actually mm-hmm. turn your foot out and slow yourself as you're running uphill. And well, of course I was having problems. And then I would try to run and, and college and, you know, and, and had all these crazy knee braces and, you know, and, and it got to the place where I just didn't jog. I was like, can't jog. I can run hills. I can run mm-hmm. stairs. I can sprint. I can power clean and box jump and do every other thing, but running was a problem. And as soon as I met Brian McKenzie, you know, he was like, man, you're pulling and heel striking. I didn't even know that was possible. And when I learned to run, um, you know, my knee pain went away because I had a technique issue. And what was, the, what was easy for me was that I, I had, was strong enough, I had good mechanics relative to my tissue health and, you know, and, and, and those things. But my technique was way off. And when I learned to run, I started to enjoy running very much. I run, still run about three times a week. And, you know, when Brian asked me, he was like, good, you learned to run? Good, because I signed you up for the quad dipsy. You're going to run this ultra. And I was like, what? He's like, well, let's prove it. Let's prove that you can run. And, you know, Matt and I did. And, um, you know, I wasn't a fast quad dipsier, but I, you know, (laughs) ran a 50K at 222 pounds. But um, my, my point is that, my own experience was that no one I, I had motion control shoes and inserts and I was strength training and I was rolling, but no one had looked at the technique. Mm-hmm. And I I was smart, I was a physio, right? When I did I was a doctor of physical therapy. So here I was, got no instruction in tr- running training. Then I meet Brian, then I meet you know Nikolai Romanoff, then I know the guy at Chi running. You know, the, uh, what ends up happening is that I realized, wow, I have looked at running, uh, looked at every other skill requisite for being a human. But I haven't given due diligence to the, the running mechanics and really saying that this is a skill on par with difficulty of Olympic lifting. And, you know, and, and why aren't we kind of giving it that credence? No one taught me to run. I just worked it out. And I, I'm a fast sprinter. I was fast in high school. You mm-hmm. know? And uh, you know, the second fastest kid on my team, comma, could not jog to save my life. And I say jog as the changing motor pattern. And what's really fun is – you know, if, if you're a strength and conditioning coach or in this world, suddenly the, all of the universes are, are sort of, you know, colliding and overlapping. And, you know, we know that skill, you know, is a biological process of, of you know, myelination, sort of these neurons that, you know, fire together, wire together. And that, that means that the practice doesn't make perfect, practice makes permanent. We know that from gene, you know, the, the, the talent code from, you know, sports gene, from power of habit, works. Really looking at the skill, imagine those of us who are heel striking, you know, and the only way you can heel strike is one that you're wearing shoes. So, you know, if you suit the soon, and we have, we have cured a lot of people of their bad mechanics because I just make them take their shoes off. Mm-hmm. And then instantaneously they get biomechanical feedback, which is what we should be doing that you can't strike the ground that hard or in that position. And they immediately free, stride frequency goes up, stride length goes down. Right, they end up running on the natural part of their foot correctly. There's only one really part of the foot that's designed to land 
you know, and be able to load that. And those things auto-correct. So one is that, you know, heel striking bad mechanics can't be done in the context of a shoe or even a big cushy shoe because I don't get any proprioceptive input. My ground reaction forces go through the roof. But what's interesting then is that if we extrapolate that, no child heel strikes. Mm-hmm. Like every kid leans and pulls. They, they're beautiful at this. And so it doesn't matter what shoe you put on their feet. In fact, the technique should remain robust. So if I put a a hiking boot on your foot or a combat boot or a shoe, a running shoe, the technique should remain the same and stable. And I think it's crucial to understand that imagine how strange it is that your technique changes when you change a piece of clothing. That's really weird, right? Hmm. I'm wearing a shirt, so I throw the ball differently. And because the ball is orange or it's an orange or a rock, I throw differently than I do when it's a baseball, right? The, the technique should remain stable. The other thing we got to look at is, you know, am I cultivating one skill that I do slow and then I do fast? And this is why it's so important that we teach people to run, especially around sprinting, because that sprinting skill and, and you know this. How, how many times have you, you guys know people who've gone to the track, have gone for a track workout, and then end up killing themselves? They pull a hamstring or blow an Achilles or tear a quad. Well, what's happened is those people are usually terrible runners. Then they go and express a new range of motion with a technique that they haven't practiced. And lo and behold, when they're at the end ranges of those, of those positions, which are exaggerated as I speed up, in running, mm-hmm. then suddenly I end up having a, a mechanical breakdown. But if people run right, the technique should be the same whether I'm running slow or fast. I just speed up my cadence or you know increase my stride length. Okay. And so when we start to make the case for that, okay, now I've got technique, but now we can start saying, you know, do you have the requisite tissue health to be able to get there? And now we can really take a, a crack at one, making people faster, and two, resolving all this silly bullshit that we've seen around their tissue injuries. Okay, so there, there's a lot in there, and I want to get to some of what you said. Now, you mentioned that running is a skill, and that's something that we need to learn, but also that it can be easily learned by taking off your shoes. Now, I see humans as uh, evolved as running animals, as a persistence hunters, so why do we need to learn a skill? Why, why can't we just take off our shoes and l- use our own brain and proprioception to learn that way? Well, that's, a, that's a, certainly a right step in the direction. And look at it this way, that I think where I look at the, the brain is wired for movement. It's not wired for musculature or tissues. So it's, it's crucial that everyone understands that. Manual muscle testing is a lie. It's totally a lie. You can test a isometric position, but all of the musculature and tissues that are supporting that position are going to be loaded. So you can't selectively tr- you know, test your, your subscap or your, you, know, you just can't do it. You can't test the strength of your quads. That's just, that's just a whole bunch of shit. And, you're, and your, body, your brain isn't wired that way. It's wired for movement. So your, your brain wiring, body wiring integration, these are integrated systems. And hopefully the environment exists that pulls the conduit or pulls the wires through the existing conduit. But, and so look at uh, the great example in Born to Run, right? Mm-hmm. The, those, those indigenous people that are such excellent runners had developed social skills and social games like the little ball running game that they played that forced the kids to learn how to run correctly. They had to take short steps. They had, right? I mean, do you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what ends up happening is if you didn't wear shoes and you valued running well, then you would see – 
that we could continue to foster normal sort of indigenous mechanics. And we then could kind of put consciousness on top of that and hope that, you know, and still hope that we optimize it. But that's, that's excluding the fact that we're, most of us are sitting all day long, that we're wearing high heel shoes most of the time, that we are very, very weak. You know, uh, you know, you can, one of my good friends says, Hey, look, I could probably develop all of the, and maintain all of your natural safe movement patterns in the wild. Squat down, lift this log, climb this tree, swim this river, run, right? But I can probably do it safer now in the gym given that you're a modern athlete. So what we've seen is, and here's, the, here's my case, every child runs beautifully unless they've got something pathological going on, right? Mm-hmm. They, they really do. Like go to any kindergarten and they all sprint for the playground. Now, in the first grade, what you'll notice is that half the kids after Christmas will start heel striking. And you'll start to see significant changes in their motor patterning. So what then is the problem? The problem is half those kids remain beautiful runners. Half the kids start to be influenced by their environment. And that's why we ultimately have to go back and bring consciousness to what's going on. We have to teach the skill. you know. And otherwise, why do we – You know, the track coach is sort of a lie. Why do we – can say, hey, if, we, if we're, we've created a ready state where we can teach optimized mechanics, okay. optimize that further. So that's what I'm saying. Okay, okay. But, so, wh- but let's get people barefoot and start jogging in front of your house because uh, it's crucial that I think you make a point that's, that's vital is that you don't need a coach to start. You need to start tinkering yourself. Okay. So what are the most common injuries that you see and, and flaws that people have that can be improved? Oh, my Lord. I mean, in running, choose one. Choose one. Stress fracture, posterior tib syndrome, compartment syndrome. I mean, come on. I mean, like as many ways as we can screw ourselves up. And here's what's crucial. We can back engineer every single one of those injuries. So looking at an injury is basically looking at a lagging indicator. So in engineering terms, we look at, you know, if I was making widgets in a machine, right, the widget comes out broken. I can tell that there's a problem with the manufacturing process. But after the fact, after something's already broken. And so what we've been doing is we've been using injuries, right? Pain, swelling, numbness, and tingling, decreased force production, loss of range of motion. Right? We've used those lagging indicators to tell me I already have a problem instead of qualitatively looking at it and saying, hey, I've got a technique issue. I can see it before it becomes a problem. And so when I have an injury, what's really happening is that all I'm doing is back engineering to, the, to the, the mechanical problem. And most of those times are motor control issues. I don't know how to express good movement. And my feeling is that most of the time you can't because you're so bound up. Your, your tissues are so restricted. Mm-hmm. So if, if we're talking about swimming, for example, if you can't put your arms straight up over your head and keep your rib cage down, right, you're missing full range of motion. Your elbows are bent. Your palm is towards the ground, right? You're spinning up the rotations. But, you can't even get into a position where you can swim. You, I know you can still swim. You just overextend and put your position, and you'll do that for a while until you magically have this you know, rotator cuff problem in your shoulder. And you know, that, that's a very obvious thing. Is sort of, you, know, is you can see that in your head, but it's harder for people to understand that they don't have range of motion. So my example is, here's two, two ideas. Let me sh- show me that you have a good start position to finish position running. Can you squat with your feet together all the way to the ground with your heels on the ground? And what you're going to see 
realize that people are missing full range of motion of their hip. I think what uh, you were mentioning there is is well, I don't. I, I lost you for about the last minute, but um, tell me a little bit about the difference between strength versus technique. How important is strength training versus just working on your pure technique? Well, I think uh, it's weird. Your um, the, the the issue around you know strength versus technique is that you know for us technique comes first. Technique allows a basis for us to develop sufficient strength to be able to support what it is we're trying to do, right? Mm-hmm. And the problem is that we are what we're seeing is that people are trying to get stronger, but in worse positions, and so they're reinforcing bad mechanics. And what we needed to be thinking is eventually I have to have technique to be able to support the strength. And then being strong allows me to get away with errors in technique. So I'm not trying to like have a semantic sort of clever debate. What I'm saying is let's integrate the two. And so instead of saying either or, because really how strong do you need to be able to be able to run, right? I have a six-year-old who's on the track team, right? Or she, she runs track and, um, you know, how strong is she? (laughs) Right. But she can book a 400. Like it's crazy to watch a six-year-old run a 400 with perfect mechanics. Like it's, it's sort of mind blowing, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And I, I think the, the, the crucial concept here is when we go to the gym, what we've said for a long time is, hey, you just need to get stronger. It's like that ubiquitous, nonsensical term like, hey, you need to work your core, right? And I'm like, well, define that for me, example. Like, <laughs> like what do you mean? Like, you mean like my, my kidneys are not in a good place? Like, my <laughs> core? And people are like, yeah, I, I mean, like, I should see my abs and when I take my shirt off, is that the core? But what we're really saying is, hey, you need to be have enough good position in your trunk and you should be able to sort of maintain that position without deflecting or deviating into a less than advantageous spinal position. So if you're running and you don't have the motor control or the stamina to maintain a neutral relationship between your pelvis and your rib cage, right? And you start to overextend or you're dumping your pelvis forward or your rib cage is breaking and hinging up like we see most runners, then you know you're either too stiff and not strong enough to deal with your stiffness or you don't have the motor control or at the end of a 5K mountain run, you really were too weak, right? So the, the first and foremost piece is, you know, how strong you need to be? Well, you need to be strong enough to maintain your position during your running. I would hypothesize that the faster that you're running, probably the more powerful and strong you need to be right? Mm-hmm. And you can look at that based on looking at the 5K runners. You can look at the, the 100 meter sprinters and you can understand, okay, I probably need bigger, more powerful muscles to run faster. But for running long, I don't think you need to be that strong. And I know for a fact, because I've run some long races with some very, very old women who kick my ass and they are not strong, <laughs> right? Right. So what the key though is, you know, we've told everyone, hey, get stronger. And everyone's like, okay, well, I'm doing it. So I'm going to go get stronger. Well, specifically stronger at what and yeah. how strong you need to be. You know, I, the great coach Pavel said, hey, you know, by the time you can double weight back squat, you know, your body weight, you know, you're probably strong enough to engage in any sport on the planet and now it's diminishing returns, right? Yeah. You know, and don't get me wrong. I mean, there was a, I just saw a documentary about injuries in Olympic runners that I think was from Sweden and, um, um, you know, I, those kids, there was a like 1500 meter world record holder, you know, guy who was power cleaning 315 pounds, right? It's, 
you know, the guy weighs like what, like 155, 165, you know, mm-hmm. and he's power cleaning 315 and he's, a, he's you know, he's a 1500 meter runner. Like that's pretty impressive. So, you know, that's the high end. The low end is though, we've still said to people, Hey, you should get stronger. And we haven't really quantified that. And what I can tell you is this, I know some of the strongest kids in the world and they're not strong enough, right? That's a problem. I know some of the fittest athletes in the world, literally the fittest athletes in the world. I'm, I'm talking about like Olympic gold medalist rowers like Erin Kafaro. Mm-hmm. And she tells me she's not fit enough. Hmm. You know, and so I'm like, oh, okay. So we're never fit enough. We're never strong enough. The core is never good enough. So how, show me a baseline. And our baseline is let's develop a movement practice that teaches and exemplifies and reinforces principles. So how many push-ups do you need to be able to do? Well, I would argue as a runner, you should be able to do five push-ups or 10 push-ups. That seems very reasonable, right? Mm-hmm. But what I'm really interested in is, can you maintain a braced neutral spinal position as you generate force from the shoulder? And if you can't do a push-up in a good position and, you're, and, you're, and you tend to sag like a, like a rented horse in the back as you do that, then what we're understanding is you don't understand a how to maintain that position or you have enough sort of handbrakes on the system that are making it very difficult for you to maintain that position. And what's nice about going to the gym is that it allows me to reinforce mechanics that I'm going to need for running and it allows me to see those problems in real time that I can't necessarily see until I'm at mile seven or the fifth 1K repeat. You know what I mean? It, it exaggerates my tendencies. And, and that's the crucial piece. As I've been saying for a long time, we finally have a diagnostic tool that allows us to make the invisible visible. And that's the gym. So, you know, can you, you know, can you do bodyweight squat? Like, what do you mean? You know, I think for my ACL rehab protocol is that you should be able to do, you know, 10 air squats every 20 seconds for eight rounds, right? Like a Tabata interval. Like that's for my ACL guys. And so if I have runners who are serious, I'm like, you can't even perform a good air squat, much less perform multiple ones. And as soon as you get breathing hard or fatigue a little bit, you know, you fall apart. Mm-hmm. And so the real issue is what are we teaching? And what we do is we teach principles. So I don't really care. Like I want all my rowers to bench press, for example. And you're like, what? Bench pressing has nothing to do with rowing. What it does is it teaches us to create stable shoulders off of a very, very stable trunk. And it's the same stability that I'm going to use to pull and push because the principle of how the physiology works remains constant. And that's what's crucial about this. So, you know, if you want to be a better runner, you'll notice in the book, I'm like, hey, let's start jump roping. Keep your butt squeezed. Show me you can point the toe. Right, keep your shoulders aligned and just go straight up and down without breaking your low back position. Can you jump on a single foot? And what you're going to see is that people's mechanics are wretched. So what we should be doing is saying, "Hey, running is a sport. Let's train for running like we train for every other sport. You don't have to like be brutally strong, but you need to make sure you can express all of the principles and techniques that we teach in Pilates, that we teach in yoga." that we teach in, you know, in CrossFit or we teach in kettlebells. It doesn't matter what your style of Kung Fu is, only that you're doing it. Kelly, we're coming up towards the end of the show here, and you've, you've shared a lot of great information with us about how to uh, stay injury-free and how to be healthy runners. But the last question I have here for you is, if you had three months to train and you didn't have any responsibilities, how fast do you think you could run one mile? I, 
Oh, that would be uh, – I could, I could be in the high fives. High fives? Okay. <laughs> high fives. And unfortunately, you know, um, I am a big, big, big guy, and my training is kind of taking me down that path. But I think what you really are – and I want to be clear about this. I see that a lot of the strength and conditioning on Ron right now is light on the conditioning and heavy on the strength. Okay. I think that you should be able to blast a 5K at any time on the planet at any time. Like you should be able to run all out hard 5K. So, so oh, I'll put you down, what, like 549? Yeah, I, I would run. I could run a 549. All right, great. Well, Kelly, I sure appreciate you coming on the show and sharing all that information with us. It was great talking with you. Hey, my pleasure, man. And more importantly, it's not just one 549. I bet I could do that in multiple 549s. That's the key, right? What do let you me, mean? Let me like show. A, you could do that pace for a 5K? No, I could do that pace and then rest a little bit and do it again. Okay. Right? That's, I think, this is the interesting thing, right? Well, d- doesn't that mean that you didn't go hard enough the first time then? <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> it just means that I'm a 41-year-old male who weighs you know, 230 pounds. Gotcha. Okay. Well, thanks again, Kelly. It was great talking with you. Hey, my pleasure, man. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks for listening to another Paleo Runner podcast. If you like podcasts, you're also going to like audible.com. Audible has over 100,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Kindle, Android, or MP3 player. You can even burn a CD of the audiobook if you like. It's a great way to learn while you're driving in the car or cleaning up around the house. One of the great things about Audible is that if you decide that you don't like the book you've downloaded, you can actually exchange it for another one. They want you to be happy with your order. If you'd like to get a free audiobook download, sign up at audibletrial.com slash paleorunner. You'll get a free audiobook download that you can keep regardless of whether you continue with the service or not. So go to audibletrial.com slash paleorunner. Thanks for listening.